Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 267. A little information is a dangerous thing. Recorded January 8th, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new year of the only show on the internet where people rant. That's it. Nobody else rants. No geeks, anyway, except right here. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Ossigineer. Wake him. Hey, gentlemen. Howdy. And we've not missed a show this year. That's true. 100%. Geeky New Year, everybody. Ah, nice. So you guys have not missed a show. We have recorded uh, shows, but we have been uh, haven't seen each other for, what, about a month now? Three weeks? So this is a little reunion for us. We closed out the, the yeah, Christmas was on a Sunday and we didn't record. New Year's was on a Sunday and we didn't record. Uh, so uh, here we are back three weeks later uh, for our first show of 2017, though you have already heard a show in 2017. Um and uh, I hope you liked it. It was a fun thing that we experimented with. Let us know what you think. Uh, this is back to the usual, not really talking about much, but babbling a lot. So uh, <laughs> first off, Merry Woo-hoo! Christmas and Happy New Year. Get those, catch up on those. Guys, anything um, outstanding happened to you over your holiday break? No, I lead a boring life. <laughs> I did go up to, um, we took a, a uh, week off and did a road trip up to uh, Grand Canyon, uh, Sedona, and then all the way through to Utah to Monument Valley, uh, which uh, if anybody has never been to Arizona and you want to do a trip that really gives you the true desert experience, I would highly recommend Monument Valley. Uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's deadly silent and you feel like you're on the uh, on the uh, s- scene of Westworld. I mean, it's just stark you know it's rocky outcrops and it's john wayne it's the whole bit it's absolutely beautiful cool how much time did you spend there uh we're up there for i think two days uh we stayed on an indian reservation in a town called kayenta um i've spent a lot of time up there in the past i go up there to decompress periodically uh there's a place just north of monument valley called mexican hat which is a great little town that has a place called the Swinging Steakhouse, where a guy literally cooks steaks over a, one of those wagon wheels that he's got suspended on chains, and he swings it over these open coals, uh, you know, while the sun goes down. It's kind of really surreal. So, um, if you're having but, second thoughts yeah. about making uh, plans to attend a, a trip on an Indian national territory, is that a reservation, reservation, reservations? <laughs> well, it's a true Indian reservation. You're in Navajo country up that way. But um, the, it's great. And, the, you know, there's hotels and there's, there's good places to stay. But um, if you want to get away from it all and you want to completely detach from modern society, that's where you go. You know, I, I give credit to the, the Native American populace. Uh, the, the invading Europeans came in and said, we're, this is our land now. We're going to stick you over here. And they said, all right, we'll make that work. And they did. And they're thriving on their Indian reservations. Go, go Native American peoples. Absolutely. Seth, what about you? Uh, I, apparently, you've gotten into and out of the Bitcoin mining bit process in the last month. Yeah, I um, I plan to get back in to Bitcoin mining when I can get a better, a more modern rig that doesn't use the amperage. Because, I mean, when you're burning over 1,600 watts, 
I know we wired our house good and we overdid it, but that's a lot. And I just, I, you know, there's this fear in the back of my head that it's going to burn the house down while I'm gone. So, um, well, that's basically I, like I bought, living a microwave running 24 seven. Yeah. And who would want to do that? <laughs> so I, um, I, uh, bought it for like with shipping, it was like 195 and I sold it for 175 and I had it running for about three weeks that I had it. And, um, it was, it was cool. It was, uh, I, I learned a lot while I had it going and I enjoyed it. You know, every day I would check on my, um, my miners page with the pool I was in and see how much Bitcoin I had made. And then I'd go over to my coin base and see what the exchange rate was and know about how much money I made. It was just, it was something to do. It was fun. It was a hobby that at today's prices, I lost money. But, you know, if I hold on to those Bitcoins, if the price doubles, I will have made money. So, yeah, we have a listener who uh, every time I release an episode sends me Bitcoins and he had been sending me point zero 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 five Bitcoins, which is roughly 37 cents. This last week, he sent me point zero 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 one five Bitcoins for a buck and a half. So um, he sent me less and, and it was three times more. Uh, because the price of Bitcoin has gone insane. Yeah, it's uh, it's came back down some since right. then. So, Miles, you wanted to talk about that. Well, uh, yeah, it's been a roller coaster ride the last week or so. Um, it's funny, you know, at the end of the year, we all in the Bitcoin community were kind of punting for Bitcoin to crack thousand. That was the real key number, considering. Um, I think it was two years ago, or sorry, three years ago. It was I could have bought Bitcoin for about 180 bucks. Um, it, it's it's way surpassed the the S and P. It's way surpassed any currency in terms of return. It's become basically better than equities on the Dow in terms of return on investment. It's crazy good, um, and it did crack a thousand. In fact, it got up to about 1150 or so which was pretty much an all-time high for Bitcoin's price. But like all good things that go up, they must also come down. And in this particular case, most of that was being driven by a rush to um, exit uh, cash or the yuan. For, well, it was more the Chinese markets being threatened by uh, government seizure of funds and so on. So a lot of people who were invested heavily in yuan in China use Bitcoin as a means to escape the um, the monetary policy of China. Unfortunately, that lasted about maybe four or five days. Um, and at, look, at the same time, to be fair, also the uh, the Indian economy cut the largest banknote that India issued, and that's an economy where 96% of all transactions are done in cash. So when you take the largest note out of circulation, that is devastating to that economy. That drove up Bitcoin. Venezuela had the same problem. That was driving it up. And so all these uh, countries with very large populations were affecting price. But the problem is that what brought it back down again was that the Chinese government saw all of this money, this exodus of money leaving their country and started to make waves about, we don't think we like this sort of thing and we might be willing to regulate or kill Bitcoin or something like that. And that sent shockwaves through the community because 93% of all Bitcoin mining is done in China. Um, and you can't, you know, when that was said, the price went from like 1150 to 800 Just crash. Um, now it's sort of, what are we at? About 9 no, about 887 right now. So we're sort of circulating back into the high 800s, the early 900s. Um, 
we'll probably get back over a thousand as people sort of get a bit more sort of rational thought on this. But it did demonstrate the commit the the uh, leverage we have to China in underwriting Bitcoin's value. So uh, unfortunately, China owns us, <laughs> so we don't really have a choice. I have a slightly you know, different but- take on that. Go ahead, Seth. I was going to say part of that is because of how the story was reported. When the story was reported initially, it wasn't reported that China might do that. It was reported that China is doing that. And so it was, it's the fear of the establishment really egging it on to drive the price down. And if you're a trader, you know, hey, good, you can make money. If you're a speculator, that's who it really hurt. But if you're somebody who uses Bitcoin or, you know, has a mass sum and you want to sell, it, it's a short-term bump that will, you know, the um, the the threat of the one cl- or the I, I can't even say English, um, the threat of that collapse artificially inflated and then the threat of the uh, Chinese or the misreporting artificially crashed and now it's going to bounce up and down and kind of get in that e- equilibrium in the middle where it should have been i I think that you actually made the perfect analogy when you called it the dow uh the the dow the dow dungeon industrial average is is what 30 stocks i think it is um so it actually doesn't mean much it never has meant much it's it's 30 companies 30 big solid companies but people have latched onto it as those 30 companies represent the state of the american uh economy whether or not they do uh, that that is the the mindset, and so for years it flirted with Dow ten thousand, like nineteen ninety eight ninety nine. That was that was the big thing. Will the Dow hit ten thousand? It bumped up and down, bumped up and down, bumped up and down. Finally hit ten thousand, and then immediately plummeted back down, and then went back up and then back down, and then it, then we just sort of accepted. All right, the Dow's around ten thousand. That's where it is, and then it started its rise back up again, and then uh, it was up around fifteen thousand, and then the the collapse of two thousand eight hit, and it plummeted again back down to like six thousand. Um, and then it made that rise. And, and at this point, the 10,000 wasn't the big bump anymore because we'd been there and we were like, okay, this is back where we started. And now guess where we are 10 years later, we're, uh, flirting with 20,000 it's going up and down and up and down because it's that psychological thing. We have this, this thing where everybody puts in say a a sell order at 10,000, right? I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy and buy when they hit sell uh, 10,000, I'm going to sell. All right, well, we're going to put in a sell order of 20,000. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy one who 20,000, 20, I'm going to sell. I personally, with my Bitcoin, thought to myself, once it hits 1,000, I'm going to sell and, and take my profit. And then I thought, well, that's just moronic thinking. Stop being a moron. And so I'm going to let it ride. But I think that's all it is. I mean, yes, the, the, the world economies have something to it. But, Miles, I don't think China has us by the, by the short hairs as much as you think they do. I think this is uh, a human um, tendency not just an American tendency, but a human tendency tendency to look at round numbers and set targets based on those round numbers. And you profit take at a certain point and enough people profit take it plummets and then people panic because it's plummeting. And so then they pull out more and then they take, you have to be a level head again and you go back in. And I just think that's the natural cycle of things. I think the, the Bitcoin is going to, we're going to find that a thousand is about where the Bitcoin lives for four or five years. And then it'll shoot up to 2000 and we'll find that that's where that lives for a while. Yeah, you know, it would it would be one of those things if let's say China did crack down and outlaw and stop every Bitcoin miner in China. Well, you know, the blockchain would get really slow. And then what they would do is they would lower the difficulty a ridiculous amount. 
and all those S1s and the little USB miners would all of a sudden become profitable again and people would plug those back in and it would start to rise. So it, it would be a short-term hiccup. I don't think it would be a a massive thing. Well, I, I agree with what you're saying about um, market, not and to use the wrong term probably, but hysteria, you know, reaction to price points. It's true. Um, before the new year, I had tweeted on my Twitter feed, which is at my, at Miles W, if anyone's interested, it's M-Y-L-E-S-W is my Twitter feed, um, that if Bitcoin got near the price of an ounce of gold, that the news media would now start spitting out stories like Bitcoin is the new gold. And what exactly happened was that. All of a sudden, you know, everybody, Fortune Magazine, Bloomberg are all title headlines. Bitcoin is equal to gold. Bitcoin is the new gold. Bitcoin is where all the gold investments are going. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is entirely the wrong story to tell. But just because the numbers look the same, then they'll make it look any way they want. So, yeah, I, I agree that people are very fickle when it comes to investments. They're scared to hold something to a certain value. It's all about numbers. And you're right. They put in buy and sell orders in advance looking at numbers that are really just fictitious uh, pieces of information. And at the end of the day, they don't look to the long-term position. So, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a very long-term player on Bitcoin, so I'm not interested in getting rid of a thing right now. When it dropped down to 800 or something, I saw that as a buy opportunity. But, you know, still 800 is a lot of money to pay for Bitcoin at the moment. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to go too much more into this. Uh, financial February is right around the corner. But if you're buying gold, stop it. The long, The lifetime history of gold as an investment is not as good as your average CD at the bank. Stop it. And all those people saying buy gold right now, think about it. Why do they want you to buy gold? Because they've got gold they want to unload. Yeah, gold requires real estate and it requires guys with guns to secure it and vaults. It's a very expensive thing to have. And it's it's really valuable when the economy collapses. And if the economy collapses, bottled water is worth more than gold. Right. Plus, there is over... I can't remember if it's three times or five times as much gold owned as exists in the world. <laughs> so, you know, that that's a scary thing. If you if you don't believe me, you dig in and you do the research and then you'll go, holy crap. Yeah. So, yeah, but more more gold is owned than exists in the world. You want to buy a gold I, watch? Go ahead. You want to buy your wife a nice gold ring? Go ahead. Don't consider gold as an investment. It's not an investment. It's a shiny thing. <laughs> it, it would. It's what's called a hedge. You you don't buy it to invest. You and in, buy it to, to maintain lose. wealth through uh, catastrophic events. Yeah. Yep. All right. So I just want to say uh, we we haven't mentioned it here. Maybe you guys are unaware of the Great Blizzard of 2017 that has come. Uh, maybe that's a not a not news that's gotten to you out there in in, in uh, Arizona and in Texas. But uh, we are we are experiencing the worst temperatures in at least a year. Um, and it's really it's uh, it's it's darn near unprecedented um, here in the South. And 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 I'm I'm from Georgia now, so I have to say that this is the South. You people from Texas and California and the people with a lower elevation than us, you don't own South. Apparently, Georgia and North Carolina they own South. When I when I tell and people, just has a Texan, I have to interrupt yeah. you and say the Union didn't win a single battle here during the Civil yeah. War. But what I, <laughs> so. what I have to say is. Uh, I tell people all the time, I moved north to get here. Stop telling me I don't know how things are in the south. Oh, you're not from the south. 
What? Anyway. Um, you guys are all wrong. I'm from the south. <laughs> you're from the... <laughs> yeah. You're so far south, you're north. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, we've had some uh, some pretty low temperatures for us. I mean, uh, currently it's sitting at like 20 degrees. Uh, we'd gotten down into the, to the single digits. But, you know, as happens in the south... Um, sleet fell and a little bit of snow. So I, I, I posted on Facebook for my friends and family that um, my neighborhood kids were outside chiseling through two inches of ice to try to find enough snow underneath it to make some snowballs. Uh, there was no snow, no snowmen that we could barely get snowballs because, you know, it snowed for a couple of hours and then sleeted the rest of the time. And as happens in the south, it, it got up to 35 degrees. The sun came out, everything melted. Then the sun went down and it, and it froze again. And now it's just a sheet of black ice. And I, nobody drive. you can drive on snow, but only Zamboni drives on ice. Uh, so it's, you know, it's difficult right now. And, and apparently, I didn't know this. This is my first winter in this house. I have, uh, I have inherited the, uh, the car trapping house. Um, I have a, a rel- relatively high elevation. Uh, I've got a, a, a second floor and then a, an attic pop up above that, plus some tall trees. And the way the road turns, um, I block the sun out of about a 75 foot chunk of road. Um, so people have all day today been cruising up my street only to get stuck in front of my house because they're just plowing along. And if they didn't have enough inertia to get through that about that 75 uh, foot sheet of ice there, they get stuck. And people have been coming by, people who come by to pull them out get stuck, and it's just been a big party right in front of my house. And uh, so uh, I pulled out this morning to, to go to church, got out to the end of my driveway, and about 15 minutes later, I was managed to get back up my driveway and said, I'm done. <laughs> I'm staying here now. Um, so everywhere else, everybody's fine. Uh, to the left of me, to the right of me, everywhere else, uh, the roads have cleared off, but, but in front of my house, nope. I'm stuck. I'm not going anywhere. I have already uh, notified my boss that there's a good chance I'm not going to make it to work tomorrow because I just can't make it through that 75 foot chunk. Just can't you should do have it. bought Seth's Bitcoin miner. You could have just <laughs> melted the whole lot. Well, you know, 10 pounds. And of, set it in your house and it would have blown yeah. that far. Had I yeah. known this was going to happen, 10 pounds of rock salt would have fixed this problem. But I didn't know. And, you know, the previous owner didn't tell me. Uh, I also thought if I had one of those propane bow torches, I could just, just melt the whole thing and be done with it. Um, um, I have an invention. I came up with an invention a while back, and I'm not going to talk too much about it because I don't have a patent yet. But anybody out there who's a chemist, I need a chemist for my invention. I'll make you rich. Uh, Is this like Breaking Bad or something? No, no, it's <laughs> it's perfectly legal. I just uh, it's a thing. Uh, I came up with it a few years ago when I was sitting uh, for nine hours on an icy road trying to get home. Uh, I invented this thing that would solve this problem, and it's perfect for Southerners. Um, but there's there's a bit of the chemistry I haven't been able to crack. So I need, if there's anybody out there got some spare time in a lab, come, let me know. That's all I'm going to say. Ooh, plot thickens. <laughs> I do want to point out, though, that if you haven't been paying attention, Netflix dropped some really cool new stuff quietly. No fanfare uh, over the holidays. Uh, and I've uh, been watching a couple of new things. Uh, if you got kids, Troll Hunters, it's a new kids uh, series, a Netflix original um we're three or four episodes into it i i'm enjoying it maybe more than my kids but it's good um travelers really amazing i'm a, i'm only uh i've only seen the pilot that's all but the pilot had me at hello i mean it really uh, uh the 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 con uh what's the word i'm looking for the premise is that in the future um people have discovered a way to transmit back into the past their consciousnesses 
they can't they can't do their bodies we I, I, and again it's only the pilot i don't know why but they can transmit their conscience consciousness back into the past and so they pick somebody who's about to die and they know they're about to die because they're from the future and they can read obituaries and so at the point where that person dies they inhabit their body and so now they've not there's no timeline broken nothing like that because they're inhabiting a dead person uh and we don't again i've only seen one episode but they don't know why yet and it, it uh it features and is produced by eric mccormack uh from will and grace uh i really like him as an actor the premise is really good i'm enjoying it so check it out uh and uh and one day at a time valerie bertinelli you know way back then they've rebooted that i haven't had a chance to watch it yet but the but the uh my friends my social network has been buzzing about that being a really good reboot of the old 1970s uh tv show so those are just a couple of things to look out for on netflix wow you guys had any experience or awareness of any of those nope no um that travelist sounds really cool though yeah, check it, it out. Does. We we were watching. I finished up Luke Cage. Finally, I made myself finish it. I, I'm sorry, Marvel. You just I, I wasn't with you on that one. It was predictable and boring. Uh, but at the end of it, it you know as Netflix likes to do, it shows you a trailer. And it started running at the end of the credits for Luke Cage. It started running this trailer for Travelers, and I really liked the premise of it. And I watched it. And it's it's too adult uh, to watch with my kids. So I had to come back to it later, and that's why I haven't seen more than one episode of it. But I certainly wanted to. But it is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an HBO Showtime. You know, Netflix is now trying to be right up there with those guys, and and I think succeeding. I really do. I mean, eight crazy nights and a very Murray Christmas, notwithstanding. <laughs> cool. Okay. Last thing before we get into some of your feedback as an audience, Miles, you went to CES. Which is no oh, yeah, longer CES. It it's just well, it kind of is, but isn't. Um, anything exciting other than um, uh, HDR TVs? Uh, no. Well, yes and no. I mean, it was a. This is my third CES, and I I made some just from a general CES perspective, like not so much what was going on in there, but it was really crazy this year. 170,000 people, the biggest convention in Las Vegas. Yeah, I know all of that. That's acceptable. It's been like that for the last two years. But of the 170,000 people, 110,000 of them were from China. And what was interesting was that of all of the conference room, uh, the convention center has multiple halls there. It's a huge place. Um, but they had sold so many booths to Chinese companies um, that had taken majority of the booth space, they had displaced from very large players into areas that I never expected they'd be moved to. Like NVIDIA was moved over near where Mercedes were doing prototype cars, and it, it, it was all over the place. It was really crazy. Um, what I did notice was it was incredibly difficult to get around because of the sheer number of additional booths that were there. Uh, the number of people who were standing texting all the time were driving me crazy because they wouldn't move. Um, it was just this, it, it was crazy. I felt like I was in the middle of Tokyo in, in rush hour. Um, really, really hard to get to deal with. But you fight through that. I saw a lot of really interesting things, probably way too many things to go over right now. But um, there was a lot of really stupid things there too. There were Bluetooth enabled, um, you know, underwear. Like what? <laughs> there was your underwear. There was seventy percent clean. Yeah, there, there was some. 
there was a lot of fusions or slight advantage, uh, slight expansions upon things that were already invented. Like somebody decided that drones were a really cool thing, so they built one that a human could sit in. So it became a drone copter. That was kind of interesting. Um, I saw robots that do, you know, like like uh, mech warrior type robot things people had built. Uh, lots of prototype cars. Some Volkswagen had one that didn't even have a steering wheel in it because it was totally autonomous and self-driving. So who needs a steering wheel, I guess? Um, and lots of things like that. I, I should. What I'll do is I'll go over my notes at some point and I can do a far better wrap up, uh, wrap up of everything. But at, to be honest, probably most of the people listening to this show are already sick and tired of every wrap up they've seen or heard and <laughs> on CNET and, you know, all of those places anyway but uh from a from a personal point of view of actually attending it i'm not sure whether i will go back next year only because it was so painfully difficult this year to get around um that it just it just was crippling to be honest uh but i did i did get through it i did see what i needed to see um there's some nice stuff coming there's some good stuff out there um i spoke to some interesting people uh, that's about all I can really tell you at the moment without were, trying were, to... Were there any themes of CES this year? Often, you know, the the, the CES uh, people themselves don't make a thing, but you start to see things. Like a few years ago, it was the it was the year of 3D, and then it was the year of, of smartphones. What d- Did you see a theme at CES this year? Um, yeah, Internet of Stupid was my idea. I think that was the theme. They internet-enabled everything that didn't need to be internet-enabled. Um, drones were a bigger thing. They'd taken almost a quarter of a, of a floor in one of the convention halls just for companies doing drones. That was kind of cool. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of cars, cars and autonomous AI and uh, uh, assisted this and that. Um, a lot of companies selling charging stations for rapid charging uh, electric cars. There's definitely a movement towards very uh, fast electric car adoption going on. Um, how long, maybe that's to, to get ready for the Tesla Model 3 that's coming out. Um, but there's a lot more sort of ancillary stuff like charging stations and wrapping charging technologies and things like that that, uh, were being set up. Um, one thing really funny, there's so many Chinese companies out there trying to make, uh, I was at the MacBook Pro 2016 model things that were missed on that machine, like, um, USB ports and things like that. These companies are coming out with additional dock things you attach to the laptop to give you what you used to have in the previous model. Um, there's a lot of advantage takers going on in that market right now. Um, I, I saw some really cool things in farming tech, which is an area I'll be working in later this year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have to go over my notes to really get a real sum of it, but I, I saw a lot of really cool things. All right, so here's my prediction, long-term prediction, 2025, okay? So that is, what, nine years from now, uh, eight years. I predict by 2025, we're going to see automated cars and drones merging together, and we'll see our first commercially available flying car. Because the reason we don't have flying cars now is not because the technology isn't there, but because nobody trusts a human to fly it. That's the holdup. In, in flying cars and they're not going to be cars they're going to be quadcopters they're going to be they're mm-hmm. going to be jet uh, cars they're not going to be a car that can fly they're going to be small aircraft but the reason you don't have seven lanes stacked up at, at rush hour uh, headed 
to to work is because nobody trusts a human myself included i would not trust a human i mean but um once we get the kind of uh complexity that your average international airport has with the kind of skills that your average commercial pilot has all in a chip flying cars baby 2025 we're going to see the first commercially available not going to be cheap but it's going to be like the tesla it's going to be a high-end expensive device but i think it'll be there in eight years and then 2026 is skynet and there'll be no 2027 (laughs) so we'll see um Okay, so uh, let's moving on to the mini rant section. Our listener feedback. Rick weighs in on just how many pear trees there are. Says, fellow geeks, I'm sure someone has already done the 12 days math for you, but here goes. There's no factorials involved, no infinite series, just simple addition or multiplication if you prefer. At the end of 12 days, you've gotten 12 partridges, 22 turtle doves, 30 French hens, 36 calling birds, 40 golden rings, 42 geese laying, 42 swans a swimming. 40 maids of milking, 6 ladies dancing, 30 lords of leaping, 22 pipers piping, and 12 drummers drumming. I think it's 12, 12 pear trees, too, but uh, I don't know. Uh, no, because he's just describing which partridge he gave you. He didn't give you the partridge under a rose bush. He gave you the partridge in a pear tree we'll see. that you have to go get. All right, so continuing on, neat math. Look at the symmetry of the count as the number receives uh, received goes up. The number of days they are given goes down. So you end up with 184 birds and debatably 12 pear trees, 140 people, and 40 gold rings, which probably are the only part, part worth keeping. Rick, nitpicker emeritus. So you need the 184 <laughs> birds to feed the 140 people. Um, so there's that. Wow. Yeah. I don't know that I buy that. We'll see. Uh, but Rick confirm, confirm, confirms what I've always thought, that it is a multiple situation and not a reiteration of the two turtle doves. That you don't mention the two turtle doves 10 times or 11 times. You mention two, 11 separate instances of two turtle doves. That's the way I read it. Well, I'm just saying it's not explicit. It's <laughs> implicit, but not explicit. Both readings are acceptable. And Way too much time on your hands, guys. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right. And John Mark argues that the death of Flash damages digital archaeology. says, I'm into all forms of computing. Uh, For example, new and old 4-bit and 64-bit, along with analog, digital, slide rule, and abacus, single chip, and cluster, Microsoft, Windows, and Linux. I want to be able to save a file in a format that can be read a thousand years from now. I want to be able to read a file that was created in the 1970s. I want my modern web browser to be compatible with any web format. Perhaps we need a web page that can render, convert any format. I want to make it as easy as as possible for digital archaeologists. There's a link here to the net's first web page. As people are always looking for ways to break copyright protection on educational software uh, made in the 1980s, so the disc can be copied and preserved for future gener- generations. Um, so th- this stems from my uh, rant about the death of Flash uh, and how it's about darn time, but it's actually not really dead. Still, 40 percent of the web depends on it. And he makes a good point that. Um, you know, for I, David Pogue, the New York Times, he's now with Yahoo, uh, but at the time he was with the New York Times, uh, he wrote an interesting article a few years ago that um, people should not be talking about long-term storage. They should be talking about regular movage uh, because, you know, if you archived all of your family photos on VHS tape, where are you now? Or family videos. 
uh, if you archived all your family folder, photos on uh, on film and uh, the basement flooded, where are you now? So it shouldn't be storage, it should be movage. Um, and John Mark's point is that if we're continually moving, we eventually end up with stuff we just can't read anymore. Um, I don't know that there's any way around that. Uh, yes, preser- preserving the past is a thing that some people want to do, but most people don't. I like, I mean, I like vintage stuff. I mean, I've got tons of vintage computers. It's kind of a passion of mine, but I really like to separate the concept of the hardware from the software or from the software and the data. Like, I mean, what is going to happen if you've got a box of punch cards? How are you going to read that? And yet it's a thing. It's data. It was stored back in the day, but no one can read it unless you can recreate the equipment that does that. Uh, so I agree with your point. I mean, you've got to be able to take that data and move it into formats that enable it to move forward and, and freely. But that doesn't mean you can sacrifice having an old, you know, deck vax machine you want to keep around because it looks cool in the in the garage. I mean, you know, we can still have that. You know, and and that sort of falls into Stallman, who we'll talk about a little bit later on. His his thing about digital rights management, or as he calls it, digital restrictions management, it breaks that going forward you know something that has been abandoned but is still copy protected is now not useful for anyone well i mean it's useful for the people making a product who does the exact same thing now that you have to rebuy again (laughs) so they're perpetuating the validity of the worker class system so you know if you buy once read forever you won't ever need to rebuy it so I don't know. I think it's just a global conspiracy. How's that for a, <laughs> yeah. a conspiracy theory well, for you? Know, you? <laughs> Seth, you stumbled. It. The book is sort of the ultimate example of long-term storage that is, all you have to do is learn the language, right? So we can go back and we can translate ancient Mesopotamian texts because the texts were stored in a, in a freely accessible format as long as you learn the language. That was the prerequisite. Uh, a book, you can, you know, you can read the same books that... Uh, um, you know, the fathers of our country read. You can read the same books that George Gutenberg, George Gutenberg, that uh, that Gutenberg, Johann Gutenberg, I don't know where George came from, um, first uh, printed. You can go back and read those books, surprise, assuming you could read old German. Uh, but you can't read a Kindle, you know, or, or even worse, you can't read a Microsoft Publisher document that you made three years ago, even using Microsoft Publisher. Because as they move forward, they leave formats behind. Okay, so uh, to take your point further, and I I think you're onto it, it's not the distribution media that's important. It's what's on the distribution media that's important. So uh, I had a very lucky experience earlier uh, in 2016. I was in London. I went to the British Museum, and I took a look personally at the Rosetta Stone. Right there, up close and personal. It's a foot away from me in a glass cabinet. I'm looking at this thing. It was awesome. And to get the sense that this was used to decode languages from thousands of years ago and understand how to read Egyptian, you know, text or uh, Syrian text, Mesopotamian text um, uh, or Assyrian text, I guess it is. um, That was brilliant. And it wasn't so much that this stuff had all these pretty iconic, you know, engravings on sides of walls. It was that somebody could read it and translate it a la migrate the data off the wall and into a format that could be moved forward that we can understand. Um, yeah, but the standard in this day of intellectual property is to obfuscate everything all the time, no matter what. 
Yeah. Yeah. But uh, if if the flash content that um it, that John is referring to here can be migrated into something else and move forward, we wouldn't really have an issue, right? Right. So the question comes down to Adobe being willing to release that in such a way that it can be transferred to another format. And while they're actually making revenue from Flash, they ain't going to do that. Right. So so what do you do? You can't regulate them. It's just going to have to become something where they come up with something better and move everything forward and they're going, Flash, yeah, we don't care anymore. And well, just and let just, it go. Just like every other bit of archaeology is going to be to a small group of dedicated people to uncover the secrets of the past. You know, and, and digital archaeologists will be a small subset, one one half of 1% of the population, just like paleoarchaeologists are today. Well, I mean, isn't that, you could argue that uh, what is the name of the group of people who were open sourcing Windows XP and then they moved on to Windows 7? You know, you could argue that that's digital archaeology because right. they're, they came across something. How did this happen? And then they're, they're back piecing together you know, from the the clay pots and weird commands on their computer. Mm -hmm. That's right. I mean, you got free DOS, like a free open source DOS emulator or whatever it is. I'm probably going to get hate mail for calling it that. But, um, you know, that's one way that old DOS programs can be run without. I mean, you can't buy DOS anymore, but right. at least you could use that. And, well, let's let's talk about it. Not only can you not buy DOS anymore, you cannot own it legally anymore unless you happen to have owned it well actually you can't then because you would have had to make a copy onto a modern format so you you have to the, there's no legal way to have dos anymore unless it's on a machine that you installed it on licensed and that machine still runs yeah that's a good point because you you can't have moved it because copying it was illegal you can't move it well, to another machine because that's copying it well you could argue here you go that since Mike, since Windows was originally and and uh, something you added on DOS, if you have the volume licensing agreement, you can downgrade Windows 10 <laughs> to DOS 6, <laughs> and therefore you can install it on you know the Surface Pro 3, boot it to a DOS Pro. I'd like to try that. <laughs> that would be awesome. What would the what would those 640k gra or 640-bit graphics look like? 640p. What is what is the word I'm even trying to say? 640 by 480 graphics. What would those look like on a Surface Pro? <laughs> Ugly. Oh my god. I don't even think it goes down that far. I think it only goes down to Super VGA. I don't even think it goes down to VGA. Um, but yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, like the original DOS uh, stuff that I was working with, it was 320 by 480, or for what was it? Three 640, 380 by 420. 420 by 380. That's what it was. So anyway, so, yeah. I can't remember what half of that was. And of course, you go all the way back. It was originally 80 columns. It was 80 by 40. Right. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I'm old. I am an archaeologist, apparently. Right. So, I mean, you know, so technically you could install DOS. Well, yeah, but see, that's, I think that's the point. Uh, right. Grave lot robbing is illegal. Can we all agree that that's a thing? Um, sure. Every archaeologist, archaeologist, yeah, every archaeologist yeah. is a grave robber. So it's true then that it's not that archaeology is illegal and always has been. We just make exceptions for that <laughs> because every archaeologist is a grave robber or a trash yeah. uh, stealer at the best. Um, yeah, with statute of limitations, you know they, those only last a millennia. So. Right. 
<laughs> All right, moving on. Our last bit of feedback. It's a short one. Aaron offers one vote for more ten minute tirades. Just, just wanted to say, I love the ten minute rant episode. I hope you guys do it again down the road. Maybe a semi annual episode. Love the show. Have recommend you to others. Keep ranting. Cheers from Ontario, Canada. So, we are crossing borders left and right. Thank you, Aaron. No, I agree. You know what? I did have a. I had a listen to our little ten minute tirades on the road when I was driving to Vegas for CES, and uh, you know, even I tried to try to take myself out of the fact that I was in the middle of it. I I was starting to get like, yeah, and this, and yeah, I agree with that, and I'm thinking, oh no, what have we done? <laughs> so yeah, I think it was highly successful, but you know, I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, and that's one more vote to redo more than any other show we've That's ever right. done. So. <laughs> the, the Boris box is now running. You know, you know, this is number two behind that one. I keep hearing about that was a popular one. People, yeah, I mean, the, the the history one we did, which was yeah. one of my favorites, no, nobody, nobody said nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on, uh, the, the topic of this one, a little information is a dangerous thing. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, an article that Richard Stallman wrote um, stallman.org slash uber.html and because he is stuck in the 1990s you have to actually put uber.html on it um, he lays out some arguments about uber it's it's a, a you know we've we've had expressed our thoughts about stallman in the past um and I've said many times what I think about him uh, if you're a new listener you can go back and listen um, he, he writes, you know, lots of stuff about lots of stuff. And, and he's, he's a guy who amazingly, he has convinced, uh, society to pay him for doing nothing but sitting down and writing articles, attacking things. That's what he does these days. That's his whole life. And he's revered for it. So I'm kind of jealous of him. I wish I could do that. Um, but anyway, uh, he's got several points here, uh, privacy, uh, freedom, uh, abuse of drivers, taxes, comparison to real taxis, discrimination, and miscellaneous, which, as always, is is one of the biggest ones. But I just wanted to focus a little bit, and we may go on later to the others, uh, on his privacy issue. And, and well, let me just read an excerpt of uh, Stallman's objection to Uber based on privacy. Uh, point number one, Uber requires passengers to identify themselves both to order a ride and to pay. It also records where you get the ride and where you go with it. Uber could track who had a one-night stat. In fact, it did so. Uber has started tracking users' movements before and after rides. Uh, people who's, uh, uh, there are people whose accounts have been stolen. Uber plans to snoop on users' locations and contacts all the time. Uber has a technical possibility to do this because the app is non-free. It's controlled by Uber, not by the user. In addition, snooping depends on non-free operating systems. With a free operating system, the user could tell the system to lie to the Uber app. The U.S. government can get those records, and any lawsuit, such as a divorce lawsuit, could subpoena them. Uber gave the U.S. government millions of dollars, uh, excuse me, gave, gave the U.S. government data on millions of customers. Uh, Uber's clever policy of not being directly responsible for anything that goes wrong extends to harassment by drivers, and its practice of dying, identifying passengers enables drivers to find out who the passenger is. This makes some women scared to some women scared to use Uber. This problem could directly uh, comes directly out of the practices listed above that mistreat all users of Uber. 
Uber's executive and staff have been stalked passengers have stalked passengers in various ways. If you take an ordinary taxi and pay cash, it will generate no records associated with you, except in New York City, where the government might apply face recognition to identify your photo in real time. And lastly, to recover our privacy and make democracy safe, we need to redesign digital systems so that they do not collect information about people in general. First step, don't help any new ones gain a foothold. No comment from me. You guys go first. Seth? Okay. Um, so, like I say, I tend to agree with him because of the fact that it's been documented where Uber staff have snooped on what people were doing outside of the Uber app. Because apparently, if you have Uber on your phone, it uses, it says, basically, when you install Uber, if you distill the licensing, if you distill the permissions, Uber has the permission to root your phone and do anything we might want to do in the future. I mean, oversimplification, but they have rights to your contact list, your location, uh, tracking, all this other kind of stuff. So they can follow you wherever you go. And they've, it has been shown that they have done that, not just, hey, where do people get picked up for Uber, but it's like, Hey, this person used Uber six months ago. I wonder what they're doing today. Do they still have the app installed? And it's just creepy. I don't want that. I tend to agree from the privacy thing. Some of these, I think he goes a little overboard, but I'm a private fellow. I, you know, I don't like it when I go and order McDonald's, they ask for my name. So I always make up some weird name just because I want a number. I don't want my name given. And uh, no security thing there. Just I'm a private fellow. So, Miles, you can go and then we'll let Mark uh, lob some softballs at us, too. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the whole privacy thing. I don't agree with giving up one guy's right to privacy in, in any way. I think that that's just that's just inherently wrong. It's not in our nature as human beings. Um, if you think that, you know, you don't have any need for privacy, then let's hear what your social security number is. Let's just broadcast that. Let's have you running around naked and not, you know, with no clothes on. There's a whole bunch of reasons why privacy is a part of our humanity, and it's important that we respect it. What I'm thinking, though, is that Stallman's, although, and maybe this is just a general position I have with Stallman, he makes some very, very good points on a lot of very important issues, and he's responsible for the free software movement. He's responsible for the GPL. I've got to give the guy credit for that. But at some point, his direction of picking one company, like in this case Uber, and saying that they're the reason why we don't have privacy as travelers, it's naive. I mean, okay, if you don't like Uber, then don't use Uber. Get a cab, use Lyft, buy a car, take a bicycle, take the train. I mean, if the, if any of that stuff is not going to, it's not an alternative to Uber that you can't stomach, then I, I don't think the problem's with Uber. But however, having said that, you go on the train, you're under a CCTV surveillance camera. You drive on the freeway in your car, you go under an overpass, you're on camera. You go, uh, you use a credit card to pay for a taxi, they've got a record of you. They've got a record of you everywhere we go. We're part, it's part of living in the 21st century. And anybody out there who works in data analytics or big data and understands how to cross match records based on minimal levels of evidence will know that it's very, very quick and easy to put put together a digital 
portrait of somebody if they want to do it. The thing is, we don't have a willing government that would stop that. That's where the problem is. And so Uber is just another feeder into a big, messy pit. Uh, and that's, I guess that's my, my point. Mark, have a go at us. Well, I, before I have any comments here, I just want to ask the question, um, what's the solution? Okay, if these are the problems, if Uber uh, being able to track your location is a problem, what's the solution? They have to know your location to be able to know where to pick you up. So if, if what's the solution? If, if Uber uh, needing your identity to be able to pay, I mean, th- that's because they don't accept cash. Okay, so the solution there, I guess, is do cash, but then you're no longer an electronic system. So you want the system without the system being the system. Um, my problem with with RMS and others like him are they they point out it's always negative. It's never constructive. His solution is don't ever use Uber, don't ever use iOS, don't ever use Android, don't ever use Windows, don't use some versions of Unix of Linux. Uh, only use an open flavor of Linux. You can't use Ubuntu because Ubuntu is bad Linux. Some Linux is good. Some Linux is bad. Just don't. And there's no there's no solutions. There's no if you unless you want to live in a world of horse and buggies, you have to move forward. And if you want to move forward in a constructive way, you have to find you have to offer constructive ways to move forward. So, but before I you know poke any holes in anything else, let me just say what is the solution? How do you have an internet based uh, ride sharing system without divulging who you are and where you are? Well, there's a difference from between me launching Uber and saying, Uber, here's where I'm at. I want a ride versus the crap permissions that by installing Uber, we can track you anytime and we're on even when you haven't launched us. So the ability to turn Uber all the way off when it's not in use would go a long way to doing that which is you know uh app drawer tap slide up to app app information force close all right problem solved that's done but why why should i mean like i say having the ability why isn't it easier to do that okay so now your problem is not with uber it's with android it's it's too hard to close apps well it's it's the crappy way they're written were permissions. And I know most of the permissions are there for advertising, but Hey, we think we could possibly need this one day. So, Hey, we're going to access this and we're going to access this and we're going to access this. Otherwise you can't install us. But you've and, fallen right back into the negative without a positive. Give me a positive. I want to, I want a solution. Yeah. If I could modularly, modularly reject permissions, of something I was installing. Like, for example, I can see no need why Uber would need to read my contacts, but I bet you if I went to install it, it would say, we need to read your contacts. We need to read your browsing history. All this other kind of crap is like, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. You need to access my identify or my location when I launch you and whatever payment, I, I don't know what payments they accept. If it's do you prepay an Uber balance? Do you use PayPal, Apple Pay? I don't know. So I've I've never installed it because I don't think there's a lot of Ubering out in Fruitvale, right. Texas. So, um, but, you know, I just modularly reject the p- portions of my life I want to keep private from you. 
okay so you want a permission that says uber can only track my location when i have the app in foreground on the phone would that make you happy for that portion of it yes yeah so you can't multitask you can't listen to music or check your email while you're waiting for uber because then they lose your location so you have to be be staring at the uber app until the driver gets there or they could be running in the background yeah well email can i mean you can't read your email unless you can do a split screen thing like on an android uh, on a samsung phone but but i'm more i'm not a multitasking kind of guy i may do this and then okay i've done that do the next thing i mean that that's me i'm different from everybody else which is why uber succeeded i should have loved uber on day one so miles same question to you give me a positive instead of a negative what's your solution to the problem uh the fourth amendment is the solution it, there needs to be a, a okay i'm so glad you did that i'm so glad you did okay that. what is the fourth amendment what, what is the fourth amendment i want to see a warrant i want to see a, a judicial authority independent look over whether or not that data which is being collected by uber and everybody else can be used for a purpose other than you what you consented for its purpose to be used. Okay, but that's not at all what the Fourth Amendment says. The no, Fourth well, Amendment is specifically right. limiting the government, what the government can do. Stallman did this. You did this. Everybody I ever have this conversation to immediately jumps to the government. Uber well, is bad because the government. <laughs> no, it's not the government. I, I'm well, then using... no amendment will protect you because the Constitution specifically lays out and limits the powers of the government. It has Uber is not mentioned in it, nor is any business business entity at all. Right, so but, that won't help you. But if I have to sign a legal agreement or consent to a legal agreement, I am consenting to uh, a, a, an interpretation of law as set down by government. I am saying that within the barriers of law, I'm willing to accept a contractual relationship between me and this private organization, Uber in this case, and that I consent to all these things and I'm giving rights away to all these things. The problem is that I might consent to 80% of that, but not the 20% that says they can use my data for this purpose or that purpose or this purpose or that purpose. The problem is consenting to that agreement is bullying. Either I do or I don't. What I'm saying is that they should not have the right to put an, a, a Boolean agreement like that together that you either consent to or you don't if you're willing to maybe have a negotiation over what those terms are. I consent to this part, but not this. Would you be willing to give me that? But, you know, we can't because, again, it's a legal document written by a robot. We don't have a choice. And therefore, I, I think that there has to be some sort of third-party authority that says to these companies... You can't do that. You might want to do that, but you can't do that unless you get the express permission outside of all of your agreements. They don't hold any weight in terms of a statute. But in the case of the statute, there is law that says you may not use that data for this unless the customer explicitly consents and that EULA or that you know agreement is not good enough evidence of that consent. Well, the you end user license specific. agreement has been taken to court and has never held up. No right. company has ever won a case saying you click the I agree button. So you already have what you're asking for. That that in every chance, at least from my, I'm not a law expert by any means, but when I've done my research on it, I've never been able, been able to find a case where that you clicked I agree was held up in court at all. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a bully tactic. You use the right word there, but it's not a legal tactic at all. It just doesn't hold up. 
Not yet, anyway. Right. So, well, but all it if, takes we, is one. if we. I okay, said, well, good. So, Thank you, Seth, so much, because that's the other <laughs> thing everybody always says, is it might happen in the future. Always want. So the only way to be safe from the government is to have a black mask on my face everywhere I go, and for nobody to always pay with cash, and to stay off the grid, because the moment I get on the grid, the government, big bad uh, Uncle Sam is going to come get me. And do what? You're hoping, you're thinking maybe in the future, at some point, your your actions might be considered seditious by a future government, and you're afraid that having taken an Uber uh, in 2016 could result in your imprisonment in 2026. Okay, that's no, that, that's, that's, that's all I've always ever seen. That's good, but how about we put in a statute of limitations on this data? How about we say they can have the data for one year or two years or but, three years? Okay, here's here's my thing. If you're afraid of the government... Who writes the freaking laws? No amount of law writing is going to help you because they write their own laws. So you can either be afraid of the government or not. It doesn't change anything whether you are or not. The government writes the laws. Period. End of discussion. The best you can do is overthrow the government, which in the U.S. we have a wonderful system of doing that called, called elections, where every two to four to six years, depending on what it is, you have the opportunity to throw the bastards out. You can do that legally. It's a wonderful system. Sorry for the for the bad word there, um, but the point is you're all you're afraid, and and I'm I'm projecting. I admit that I'm being overly harsh on you, but the the privacy zealots are projecting something that they fear might happen, and their 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 concern is that they feel powerless about it. The reality is you are powerless, and using Uber or not doesn't change how powerless you are. No, but I think we, we can accept that we're powerless against entities like governments. I mean, we don't have nuclear arsenals to go up against. I mean, I'm not suggesting anybody would, but I'm saying that, you know, we don't have the position of power to be able to face off against somebody of that power level. But Uber's a private company, and they should be forced to abide by sort of laws of reasonableness behavior that we're expected to abide by. I mean, we live in the same world with them. We live in the same cities. The cars are on the same streets that we could be walking on. Why are they not uh, being forced to abide by the same levels of, of reasonableness that we are? Well, the fact is that they are, right? All of this data that, that Stalbin talks about being shared with the government is because they play by the same rules as everybody else. The government can come to you and say, we subpoena these records, and you don't have boo to say about it. The same thing happens when they go to Uber and say, we subpoena these records. You can't do anything about it. You say, yes, sir, and you start photocopying things. So your complaint is that they are being law-abiding citizens. They're giving your information to the government because the government has the right to ask for that information. So the the solution is never, ever collect that information. I get that. So then you have to accept the things. You have to live like Stallman. You have to not have a cell phone and and use a 1987 computer running Pine uh, because you can't live in the modern world and not give information away. Right. I okay. Still, what do you think, Seth? <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's let's go out of the stratosphere and come back down to reality. It's not about not giving information away. It's about only giving the information away that they need to do their job. So I went to my phone. I went to the Google Play Store and I pulled up Uber and I looked at the permissions. So if I am going to install Uber. Here is what I give it the right to do. Find accounts on the device. Okay. I, I can see that would be a valid need because you know you need you need to know who it is for payment. So I don't I don't have a problem with that. 
add or remove accounts from this device. I do have a problem with that. Uber doesn't need to be adding more people to my phone. Read your own contact card. Okay, I can see because that's where the information is stored within Android. So I can give them that one. You have no, there's no need for Uber to read my contacts. Um, location, approximate location uh, with network-based and precise location. I understand that's the whole point of Uber. So if I am going to choose to use Uber, I don't have a problem with that. They need that. SMS, they can receive text messages. So is this because that's how they communicate? Is that how the drivers communicate? I don't know. I'm asking. Do you know? Well, they send you a text and tell you when they'll be there. Okay. So then, okay, Uber would need to be able to read that text message um, and receive it. And I guess you would send through Uber. So, okay, I'll, if, if that's the method Uber uses to communicate, okay, phone, directly call phone numbers. Do they, I guess you would need that for calling the driver. Is that right? I don't know. Never use it. No, no. Okay. So I can give them that one. Modify or delete the contents of your SD card. I don't see any reason why they need They that. have to write temp files, Seth. You, I mean, everything has to store variables. And the only way to do that, unless you want to keep it in RAM all the time, is to modify and delete files on your hard drive. But that's the hard drive and not the SD card. But, I mean, or, it's it's the same thing. It's, a, it's boilerplate text, your storage device. Your phone doesn't have a hard drive. So well, it has, well, I'm, to me, I thought this meant like the card your SIM card. So is that, so is that different just because I don't really, I'm not an app person. Is that different from the SIM card you get with your phone number and stuff and contacts on it? Well, that's read only. Okay. So, okay. Well then I would, I withdraw. I was a misunderstanding. Well, actually, what actually let me take that back. It does hold a few KB of data. Back in the day, you could actually store like a uh, hundred phone n- numbers in it, but it is, it is not read only, but it is in the KB, not the MB range. So if this isn't that card, then okay, I see why they would need that. Take pictures or and videos. I don't understand why it needs that. Um, Wi-Fi connection. I understand if I'm getting data through Wi-Fi, they would need to be able to use that. Read phone status and identify. Um, prevent the phone from sleeping. Um, you know, there should be, if I have it, if I'm using it, okay. But if it's just in the background, that needs to be more modular. Uh, control vibrations, uh, full network access, use accounts on the device. To me, that's a bit much. Use the account you're signed in as. And then here at the bottom, updates to Uber, Uber may automatically add additional capabilities within each group that you really don't have a choice but to accept. So I just well, think there's some permissions there that aren't needed. So everything you just said there. And you're looking at the Android app. That's the Android permissions. That's boilerplate dialogue. Uber doesn't get to pick um, the words that show up there. They just pick, they have a checkbox that says, I need these uh, permissions. Um, and in Android 6.0 and higher, uh, that that system is a little different. I'm guessing you're using an older version of Android. Uh, in the newer version of an- Android, every time an app tries to do something for the first time, it's required to ask permission. This app right now, in this moment, wants to use your GPS. Are you okay with that, yes or no? Um, So a lot of your objections are not with Uber, but with Android. And to be fair, Stallman's was as well. It's a non-free system, and therefore you have no control over it. So I get that. I accept that as a a, a limitation of using the supercomputer in your pocket. 
But again, I don't see where any of this is is an inherently evil thing. Why is giving information to people evil? Well, I tell you one thing though. As Seth was reading out that list, I was thinking, "Oh my God, Stallman's right. Stallman might have a point here." And the reason why is because, to your question, there's no context of why they need it being disclosed in the statement. This is true. If, if they said we need to access your camera because our application takes a photograph of your portrait so our drivers can recognize you. If they said that, okay, I'll let you have that. But we need to access your camera, giving them carte blanche to that. I'm not on board with that. That's not right. And and how dare they even ask that question? But you give me some context, let me understand why you need it, maybe then I'll look at it. But they're asking for carte blanche to all this sort of stuff? No way. Well, again, uh, to to channel Stallman a little bit, uh, once you've given that permission, even if you think it's appropriate, they still have that permission. So, you know, if I'm going full on fruit uh, bag here and I say, now I've given them that permission, they can take a picture of everywhere I go. Uh, they can they can see my good bits when I'm in the shower. They can, you know, they can they can see me having sex with my wife. They can see me having sex with somebody not my wife because I've given them that permission for, henceforth and forever. And by golly, the government's going to have it sooner or later. So context doesn't help that problem. Again, modular, they don't need, and again, it's just, it's not so much the security, it's the privacy. Those aren't the same thing. Oh, oh good. I, I, That's exactly good. That. Perfect. So my issue and my question, it's not an issue. I'm not, it's not a complaint. Uh, I, I hope you don't feel attacked. I, I know you guys, you guys don't. I, hmm. I'm talking now to the audience. If you agree with these two, don't feel that I'm attacking you. I'm trying to get to the the essence of the situation. And I believe that the adversarial method is the best way to do it. Attack illogic until logic appears. So the the issue that I'm trying to get at here is why is privacy good and why is lack of privacy bad? I've never heard anybody give me a good example of that. Now, you know, I, I could go on to say that, yes, I close the bathroom uh, door when I go to the bathroom. Um, that's both a privacy thing and a respect thing. Trust me, you don't want to see that. Um, but, you know, I don't see... I don't see any, any inherent value in privacy, nor do I see any inherent evil in lack of privacy. And I, I will tell you, part of the reason for me is the difference between giving something away versus somebody taking something of mine without asking. Um, okay, so let's... So, let's uh, let me stop you there because I want to chase okay. that rabbit just a little bit. Okay. Uh, something Stallman mentioned and and uh, Miles both uh, have mentioned uh, public cameras that your face is being tracked. Now, when you do that, Seth, in your estimation, did you give permission to have your picture taken? No. Okay. So, do you do you think that traffic cameras are a bad thing in terms of privacy? I mean, yeah. Okay. So, so my contention is you gave permission when you left the house. Right. You're in public. By definition, everything you do on a public street is public. Public. That's what public means. Anybody can take a picture of you. Anybody can do anything because you're in public. And so I would say you did give permission when you walked out your front door. Okay. I don't necessarily disagree with that. But again, that doesn't mean I like it. And that's different. I, you know, you're you're lumping my distrust 
anyway, the the government's <laughs> going to do what the government's going to do. This is a company, you know, which in certain cases is like another person. And I just simply don't try to take from me that which is mine because that pisses me off more than anything. If okay. people ask me, I but, give it, but don't just do this crap. I, I well, I hate apps anyway because what what is an app? It's an awesome program or an awesome web page that you strip out all the useful features and are left with crap. You drop the C, you call it an app, you put it in an app store, and you funnel advertising through it. I hate apps. They're they're the one day, hopefully, sanity and uncommon sense will break out and we'll look back on this time and go. We were tools, so I just hope I live long enough to see it. So you you don't use Google Maps to get you from place to place? Rarely. I look it up beforehand so I know how to get there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, um, I hate, um, okay, I don't know, maybe I'm overreacting. I just finished watching that History Channel series called Hunting Hitler. I'm not sure if you guys call oh, it. Oh, dude, I love that series. That was brilliant. Um and I think I got the sense, you know, it started off on the kind of, this is like a cute little, you know, TV show of something. That, and then it ended up with, oh, my God, we almost got bombed. I mean, it was it was it was a scary sort of chain of events as it sort of portrayed. But what I did get was a sense of possibly what life was like back then. I I also was very lucky this year or last year to spend a week in Prague, Czechoslovakia. And I visited the uh, Communist Museum of Czechoslovakia. And what I saw there sent absolute chills down my spine when I saw how governments used um, the, their own people to spy on their neighbours, to inform them of things that, and to misuse information and to you know, put people into prison camps for decades for doing nothing more than uttering the wrong word at the wrong time of the day. I mean, it was just, it was way out of control. And, you know, look, short memories, this stuff was not that long ago. What we, what I'm trying to say is it's easy enough to trust individuals or companies and to sort of say, well, I'll give them this stuff and they'll never use it for the wrong purpose. But there are historical precedents that aren't that far away, and many of which are going on in countries outside of the United States to this very day, like Venezuela, for example, where you look at governments who have taken those rights that people have given up freely and used them against their own people. This stuff happens, and I'm not saying it's happening here right now, but... You know, it's like the frog in the pot, pot of boiling water. You put them in when the water's cold and gradually turn the heat up and eventually the frog will die, not realizing it's being boiled alive. Just and for the record, that's been tested and debunked. But well, I know. I'm nice using it as an illustration, though. What happens? It, the frog jumps out of the pot. Well, yeah. Okay, but, but here's the thing. At what point do we jump out of the pot? Is it when it's too late or when we have some control over it? And I think Stallman right now is saying there is a position right now where we have some control and whether or not maybe we don't, maybe we've gone too far, maybe it's already boiling and we're stuck. Yeah, but we still this, have the illusion know, of control. So We do, yeah. Here's yeah. the here's the leap I'm not making with you. I need you to help me. I want to be on your side. I want to be a crackpot uh, privacy Nazi. I do. I, I, it sounds like fun. You guys, I think you would have awesome parties. I want to be invited to them. <laughs> help me come to your side. We and have help cookies. Me, and help me understand the link between Uber and 
government persecution. I don't see that link. Um, well, I'm gonna, look, I'll tell you what. With Uber, to get what Uber's offering that is unique, that nobody else is offering, if you have to give up your privacy, you have to give up your rights, and you have to give them carte blanche against all that data, then they need to give you something a hell of a lot better than a car trip from point A to point B. As far as I'm concerned, I want to have, you know, free Ferraris for the rest of my life for that level of give up. I mean, that's not that's not an appropriate negotiation right there. If they were to say, we need this for this purpose, we need that for this purpose, and, and you're willing to accept a constraint on how far they can take each point, then maybe you'd be willing to give it up. But I would only do that under the pretense that there is a data retention of no more than, say, 12 months on that data, and that stuff is gone. And if there's any data log- longer than 12 months and I find it anywhere, they're liable, or that if it gets used in some sort of a, a legal case two, three, four years from now, it gets thrown right out because it was never part of the agreement. Okay, so what I'm hearing here is that you have two fears. You have a fear that Uber will collect more information than they need to and that they will uh, leak it beyond the context of your business transaction. Have I, well, have I summarized your points successfully? Yes, I would say in regards to leaking, I would say it's not necessarily that they will leak it, that they will become a repository that a third party, a la government agency, another company, whatever it might be, can target them for that data and then use it nefariously. Okay. So you don't actually think Uber is doing anything wrong. You fear that somebody might use the the data that Uber has to do something wrong in the future. Uh, yes. Uh, or, or at least maybe somebody, you know, it's like anything, you know, the boss of Uber gets ousted, a new guy comes in and the new guy changes the rules and still has access to the data. I mean, so I, it's not it's not the the having of the data, but the eternal nature of the data. Am I am I I'm trying to zone in on what you're saying here. Ephemeral data is fine. Uh yeah, again, two things. Context, you can have the data for this purpose, and secondly, time period, you can have the data for this time period for this purpose. Those two things are missing from the agreements. Okay, so when I go into a 7-Eleven and I'm paying with cash and the security camera is taking my picture, is that not exactly the same set of scenarios? I have been identified and that data is being stored and could be used later. Do you do you feel the same antipathy towards 7-Eleven as you do through Uber? Yes, but I think 7-Eleven, well, I... I would hope that 7-Eleven doesn't have petabytes of data storage and retains that footage forever, that maybe 30 days later it's gone. Okay. So you you have trust in the low-tech nature of 7-Eleven and you distrust the high-tech nature of Uber. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I mean, maybe it's hope rather than trust. <laughs> maybe it's mythology. I don't know. But yeah, that would be part of it. Okay, so here's here's my point uh, that comes uh, to all of this. Maybe the reason that I don't have any of these same concerns is a certain sense of self-worth. I don't believe that I am valuable enough for my data to matter. And and that's not tr- false modesty. That's That's truly what I think. I think that my data is so insignificant that I, as a human being, am so insignificant that I am a single drop in a digital ocean of data um, and I don't really care that it's collected and stored forever because I'm not worth the search. That's my take on it. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, I understand that. But, I mean, history has shown us that some of the most 
creative people, some of the most um, uh, inventive people in the world didn't live a traditional lifestyle. I mean, if you look at some of the people that, you know, who are, are great inventors, they live kind of weird lives. And if you were to look at that lifestyle and their habits and what they do, it would look very alien to a lot of other people. And what I'm saying is that if a computer program is designed to capture these kind of unusual habits of people and to say, this person may not be trustworthy, this person might be, you know, they're not, they're not the, you know, the, the molded template person. There's something different. They want to do things out of the box. That's not something we can control. And therefore, we need to bring this down. We need to shut this down because we don't necessarily know how to deal with it. That's the problem with all of this is you're giving them the, the weapon to use against what might be very good people who have great ideas that can help society move forward. I mean, Albert Einstein did not live the life of an average Joe. Do you think he would be the guy who should have been put in a, in a, you know, a detention camp somewhere because he wanted to be, you know, pulled out of that normality? Um, people who are not normal are not bad. And the problem is computers don't have a way of determining not normal equals good. They cannot draw the line between the two. You get flagged if you do something weird and then all of a sudden you have to explain yourself away for just doing something that's not normal. That's not, you know, if, if I don't want to have a nine to five job or I don't want to, you know, have a, a if my bank account balances is, is a weird number, I want to trade in Bitcoin, I want to do whatever, I'm not bad. I'm just different. So don't don't treat me like a criminal before you even know who I am. But unfortunately, with giving up rights to Uber and so on like this, they're going to treat me like a criminal because I'm doing something that is not normal. Okay, you're using incendiary language and I want to I want to either stop that or define that. Okay. You, you have repeatedly used the phrase giving up rights. I don't see any rights that are being given up. Help help me explain how you feel you're giving up rights to Uber. Well, the right of privacy. The right of very specific sets of data. You you have not given up. You've not given up rights to... Okay, so let's say th this scenario. I'm trying to paint a scenario by which this would all be okay. Uh, as, as Joe Paranoid user, I download Uber on my phone, on my burner phone. Um, I contact Uber. I get a ride. I then uninstall the app. They had the data. It's still permanent. It's there forever, but they no longer have any other ability to get my contacts because they weren't on my burner phone. The, the, they don't have the ability to track my location because I've removed the app, and they don't have any other information about my location. Is that okay? Well, it's if, if Uber's software says, I went to get this guy's contact details, so I want to use it to advertise... For whatever purpose. We don't even put context on it. I went to get this guy's contact details. There weren't any. Ooh, that's suspicious. Okay, this guy goes into the list. We're going to check him out later. That's okay. the problem. That stuff will happen. But before we address that, Seth, same question. One-time use, install the app on a burner phone, uninstall it, never have any other contact with Uber again. Does that satisfy your paranoia filter? I'm looking to see how you pay with Uber. So I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Ex I only know vaguely how Uber works. I don't have enough information to answer okay. the question. Okay. So th that, that was sort of the point I was trying, I was going for. So you led me right into that nicely. 
if I've ever used a credit card for anything, I'm giving that same data. Uh, right, right. So let's assume that I don't let them take my picture and I don't let them um, track me anymore because I've removed the app. At this point, the only thing they have to link me to me is my payment method, which is the same as using a credit card. And I'm sure Stallman does it using credit card. Uh, so now we're, we're, we've really honed down the Uber uh, objection to one issue, and that is they don't allow anonymous payments. Yeah, but okay. So what? What about this scenario? Um, you have Galactus de- thirteen, by the way, in the chat room. Just a, a new information says mm-hmm. payment is made via PayPal. So you have to have a PayPal uh, account apparently to use Uber. PayPal is not anonymous, but is um, it? Well, let's see. It can be both anonymous or not, depending on whether or not you link it to a bank account. Right. Yeah. If you wanted to, you could buy a like a, a credit card or a prepaid debit card. And you could link it to that. And then, so therefore, it's not linked right. back to you. So, um, in every step here, and, and I'm trying to, to boil this down to the, to the essence, every step along the way, it is incumbent on you, the user, to take steps to anonymize your transaction. And I get the feeling that this, this is your inherent distrust, is that it's on you to anonymize your transaction rather than Uber taking the proactive step out of anonymizing your transaction. Well, it's me not knowing what needs to be anonymized to remain private. You don't know what you don't know. And so, uh, you know, you just, it's, it is, you know, usability and privacy on a smartphone are mutually exclusive almost. You can't be, so it's like, I don't know what information is Uber collecting from me. So that way, if I want to maintain privacy and use this app, I have to do these things. So I just, I just want to be left alone. I don't see a scenario where I would ever use Uber. I really don't. That's good. But the reason you won't use Uber is the same reason Stallman won't use Uber or one of the, the top reason he listed is that you can't do it anonymously. Is, is that correct? You won't, if you could, if you could guarantee through all ironclad legal contracts that you are 100% anonymized all the time, would you be okay with it or would you still have issues with it? I, I don't know. I, uh, I honestly, I don't know. I, okay. I would have to think about that because it, it just, Uber would be outside of my character, really. You know, um, it just would be. So, okay. so, but calling a cab and saying, I'm standing at the corner of 35th and, and, and 8th, um, come and get me. I'll be here for the next 30 minutes. Giving that location data and your name and paying for it with a credit card, you're okay with that. I would be more okay with it because I didn't put something on my phone that they can look up whenever they want to. Okay. So, other than uh, the logbook where they wrote down Seth Anderson was at 35th and 8th on January 5th at 9.15. Right. But the way Uber is now, by default, someone can apparently, and I mean, I read through and where they can pull up my data and access and see, oh, he is right now walking down Fifth Avenue in front of Macy's. As long as the app is active, I I accept that. That's that's a thing they could do, yes. And, you know, you restarted your phone because it locked up or whatever, the power died. And so when it turned back on, you forgot to go in and turn those apps off. 
And so they're going and you forgot about it. So, you so know, you're just again, you're you're proceeding from the assumption that they might do something bad with that information. It's not so much that they might do something bad. It's just I don't want them to know. Why? Because everybody I'm, who sees you walking down the street knows you're walking down the street. It's not a, it's not more information than anybody else has. I'm just I'm private. I don't like it. I just I don't. I was born a generation too late. So I should have been born the same time my brothers were and I'd be older and, you know, all this stuff would be for you young people. I, I really, so. I, I'm getting the sense this is like, I'm the blind person and you're de- trying to describe green. We, we have such a different context that you can never make me understand this. I, that's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Well, I have, I'm trying I have to explain to you how to drink water through your hand. That's what I'm trying <laughs> to do. How about I give you a, a simple concept that, that at least works for the reason why this would be a problem for me. Um, I want to participate in a society. I don't want to be exclusionary. So I don't want to live kind of a life of a loner and so on. I want to participate. But I want to participate in a society that trusts me as a default position and doesn't judge me just for the willingness to participate. That's all. That's all I want. I don't want to be putting out data where people will use it as a methodology of judging my participation or judging my intent or judging my actions. Those things are irrelevant unless I commit a crime of which I'm not doing. But I don't want to live in a world where all I'm doing is being watched all the time. And and that's what Uber is describing in those terms and conditions. For me to accept them, I'm giving up that willingness to live in that society. Maybe that doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. Here's what I just heard you say. I want to live in a world where people don't burn down buildings, but fire exists. That's what I heard you say. Yeah, okay, okay yeah, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. So you're not going to be happy as long as fire exists and people are bad. If we can get rid of bad people or get rid of fire, you're okay. But as long as both bad people and fire exists, Uber is bad. No, no, no. The, the, the concept that fire exists and people are allowed to use fire and I want to live in the world where fire exists and people are allowed to use fire, I'm all good with. If somebody misuses fire and commits a crime with it, I'm fine with that person facing justice as a result of that. What I'm not fine with is that people who have a reasonable and red uh, um, use of fire are being judged as criminals just because they have the ability to use fire. They have to do something bad to be judged as a bad person. You can't prejudge somebody. That's our. That's why. Sure, you can. It's called prejudice. It happens all the time. Well, yeah, but this this is why I went to Fourth Amendment as my initial statement. Is that I want the there to be some sort of a, 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 a. You have to get over this hurdle, and that is get a warrant, have a third party intervene, something before you can prejudge somebody, or that you can judge somebody as a criminal. There has this, to be something there. This is fascinating. I've got people in the chat room. I've got two live humans right here interacting with me, and I can't understand a word any of you are saying. It's like I am from another planet. I, I, I fully recognize you're the problem is me, but I just can't get it. You're not speaking sane, rational language. It's it's gibberish to me. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking help here. I want you give me that Rosetta Stone so that I can understand you because I don't. <laughs> Wow. Maybe it's, it, maybe you have to experience... No, see, I really have been lucky enough in my life not to be experienced... You've being, read you know, more dystopian sci-fi than I have. I think that's the difference between you and me. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, inherently, I I want to live in a world where everyone trusts each other. I really do, because that's okay. our, part of our humanity. But it's really hard these days. Here, here, Mark, this, this, this will help you. I live in the country. If I want to, at night, I can walk out my front door around to the side of the house and pee. I can do that pretty much any time I want to. And I don't have to worry about somebody seeing me pee unless they're trespassing on my property. So I can't do that in the city. If I was, when I lived in Greenville, Texas, if I walked out of the door of my apartment and around the corner of the building and peed, you know, somebody would call the police and, you know, I would have to pay a fine. So I'm from the country and I hate the fact that in the city, I can't just pee wherever I want to. And in the country, on my property, I can do that because I'm surrounded by trees. Does does that help in any way? So you don't want privacy. You want to be ignored. No, I want privacy. If I choose to go to the city, I know, okay, I've got to find a restroom. But when I'm at home, I just, does it help? I mean, does it help at all? Is peeing off the back porch something you do on a regular basis, Seth? Who knows? The world will never know because we don't live within the eye shot of Seth's penis. Have you but, guys lived in uh, housing communities that have HOAs? Yes. Okay. And I have hate you HOAs. ever had right? Exactly. And have you ever had somebody on the HOA who we would kindly refer to as an HOA Nazi? There's this person who retired who's got way too much time on their hands and walks around all day looking at somebody who put the wrong colour wreath on their front door and then writes you a nice little cease and desist letter. How does that make you feel? It's a horrible experience because you're going, how dare you think that this is wrong? You know, what part of and, and they cite some stupid statute that was written well before you ever bought the house or the property that you somehow had to agree with because buying the house made you agree with all the HOA terms, many of which you don't agree, but you wanted that house. That, that's, 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 that's exactly Uber. what that's what happened to me. I just bought a house and I could not purchase a house without agreeing to be a part of the HOA. This quarter million dollar transaction was held up because somehow, I don't even understand how that's even legal. How can somebody who bought the house before me compel me to a contract? I don't even, I don't get that. I don't understand how that's legal. But when I protested it there with a lawyer in the room, it was, oh no, you have to do this. We can't go any farther. You, you're, you're going to be homeless at the end of the day unless you agree to this. So this is like you downloading the Uber app, right? You've right. got to agree to it. You have no, you might not agree with it, but you've got to agree with it, or you don't get the Uber app. This is Obamacare. We can't tell you what's in it till you pass it. So <laughs> okay, it's you know, I mean, all of these things, HOAs. I live out in the country. There's 25 acres around my house. If somebody comes up and tries to commit, convince me to join an HOA, well, it's going to be trespassing. You know, yeah, and you I put might, a shotgun I might on the guy. My weapons. <laughs> All right, so I think I think we're, but as silly as this conversation is, I think we're onto something because here's the thing, I I signed the paper, I paid the money to the HOA, I joined, I went to the meeting, the annual meeting. I am now part of the HOA. I am an HOA guy because I wanted to live here. So if and Stallman, wait, hold on, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not finished. Stallman is unwilling to live here. He would change where he lived because of the HOA. He doesn't use, uh, you know, Uber because his principles say. I'd rather walk than use this app. So, okay, now I'm, I'm understanding a little more your point of view. Seth, you would rather be homeless than sign to join an, o, an HOA using this agreement. 
I think it's interesting that you said I hate HOAs and yet you've never been in one. You you I, hate what you've heard about HOAs. And I and I think and I'm not just saying that to uh flippantly. I think that exact same thing falls into the Ober argument. You hate it even though you've had no experience with it. You just hate the thought of it. You hate the experience of it. You hate what could possibly happen to it. Somebody having the authority to tell me having the authority over something that I own. You know, okay, I understand the government has authority. Okay, but my neighbor shouldn't have authority over my house because I wanted to paint the trim red instead of yellow or, you know, I wanted tin instead of asphalt. Well, this is so roof. classic because just like an HO is a microcosm of a federal government, you have the process, you have the ability to go through the process and change those rules. If you want yellow shutters instead of green, go to the meetings, have a motion, get enough people to agree with you that yellow is okay. There's a process. And and in my world, in my mind, the blind guy who doesn't understand green, I'm totally okay with working the process. And if it takes me a couple of years to get green shutters, I'm fine with that. Stallman would call that a compromise, a, a sellout of my principles, perhaps. I call it working the system. I'm okay with understanding there's a set of rules and a systems that I have to go through to change things. Um, and so I understand that Uber, when they collect that data, there is a process that they have to go through to collect that data. And if I don't like it, I am empowered to go through a process to change that. I can change the government that you're also afraid of. I have that power. I have to get enough people to agree with me. But if, if my cause is righteous, I can do that. I believe I can. I believe in, the, in humanity and in the democratic process enough to believe that I can make that change if it's important enough to me, rather than simply opt out, believing pessimistically that it's not possible to change the machine so I won't be a cog in the machine. Well, okay. I, I don't agree that with that at all. I don't Here, think it's possible at all to make that level of change without enormous expense of cost, time, and and emotional stress, and everything else that goes along with trying to make change at that level at a humanly individual uh, position. Collectively, with a large group, you might have some power, but I don't know of anybody personally who has done the, you know, it's been like the Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie who just turns up on the, on the, you know, s- the steps of the Senate and says, we need to change this, and then something actually happens. It doesn't work like that. I mean, I'd love to think it did, but th- th- that's, that's mythology. That's movies. It's fiction. It doesn't work that way. Once it's in there, it's in there because it got lobbied in there. It's in there because people signed it in as a footnote on a bill or a pork on this bill or whatever. It, it, this stuff is, is very, very hard to change. Very but hard see, to change. My, my position is your being on a government watch, li- watch list is every bit as much fiction as me being Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Well, I would love to believe that. I really would. I'm just inherently distrusting of government at its at its essence. And I'm not saying you have to throw them out. I'm just saying that there needs to be some restriction of power and that Uber should be forced to be restricted in how they can use their power as well. Okay. And I'm a little different. So, see, the thing is, we're arguing two different points here. Number one, I would not allow any HOA to come and co-op my land into their membership. However, if I choose to move somewhere and an HOA is there and I want to live there, I understand that I will then have to join the HOA and abide by those rules. Uber is an HOA that has no compelling reason for me to join. And I hate it when they try to come 
and get their grubby little fingers all over my cheap Android phone. So <laughs> there's no compelling use case for me. Um, if okay. there were, I would, I would understand like, okay, like I say, there, where I live will never be a part of an HOA, but if I move, I understand I might become a part of an HOA and then I would have to deal with the crappy, stupid regulations from people who are too concerned about their property values than their neighbor's names. So see my, my, the, the, soon as I joined the HOA, the, my first order of business was to show up at the first meeting. There's a, it's a small HOA. There's about 115 houses in this neighborhood. There were six people there. My wife and I were two of the six. All right. So we were, we were a third. We we had we had power there. We had uh, a quorum power at that point. The two of us being a third of six of of the the meeting. We could have strong armed something. We didn't. But the point was, I wanted to be uh, uh, actively involved in the thing which determines my future. And so, while Stallman and those like him say opting out is the best choice, I think. Opting in and being active is the best choice. But you have the abil- you have the ability to change your HOA. I don't perceive, and this could be wrong, but I don't really perceive that I would be able to have any effect to get them to modify their permissions or anything. Because we're Uber and people use us and bleep you one individual person is my Well the process caricature is the, of their the legal battle. I, I'm sorry for interrupting. The yeah. the process that, that you would go through is the legal battle. And, and Miles, you're, to your point, it's not easy and it's not cheap. But if it's important to you, you do the things that are important. So Stallman's principles tell him to, to, to bow out. My principles tell me to charge ahead. And so we really are two very different animals pursuing the same goal in very different ways. I'm, you know, I'm Don Quixote charging at windmills. I'm not going to take that windmill down. I'm probably going to get knocked off my horse d- trying. But my inner core is one who tilts at windmills not one who runs away. And I just haven't seen the windmill I wanted to try to tackle yet. <laughs> so, uh, be, like I say, that's that's the difference for me. And I and I question why the windmill was there in the first place. Yeah. Who who gives this Dutch farmer the right to capture this wind? This wind is free for all. You <laughs> right. are impeding the wind flow of your neighbors downstream. Exactly. <laughs> This has been enlightening in a fascinating way. The the listening audience may have turned us off by now and already been done, but I've been riveted by this whole thing. I think it's fascinating um, how people can agree on principles but disagree on methods in such dramatic ways. Um, and that's why I wanted to have this discussion because I knew it would be a good discussion. I knew that Seth and I were, were two sides of the same coin. We're the same coin. We're, we have the same value, but we're two sides of it, right? Yep. I wasn't sure where Miles would fall in. So uh, this was fascinating to me. Did we get anywhere? No. Would we? Could we have this conversation for the next 12 years and get anywhere? No. It, there's no amount of doing it because I really think it is, um, it, you know, the analogy of the blind man. Are you trying to tell him what color looks like? I can't see your point ever. I just don't think I can. Um, I don't know. Maybe when I go to jail, jail for using a seditious word, I'll be like, God, those guys were right. And <laughs> you, you know, I he, shouldn't have we hope that, that never right. happens. That's the point. It's it, it, with a preventative you know, measure here to try to avoid you having to react to a bad situation. Yeah. See, I took a, um, I took the plunge and took my, 
took the Kindle I bought my dad back because he hasn't touched it in last year, I don't think. And so, you know, I linked my Amazon account to it so I could get my free book a month. And then I went to the app store and looking around at those apps and I went, there's not one single app I can find that makes me want to tolerate the crap they ask for. So there was no app in the store that I could find that was a value add for me. So. Well, I think, you know, everything in life is a negotiation uh, between what you're willing to give up to what you're willing to get. And when that negotiation appears to be your you're expecting me to give what for that little thing, then all of a sudden you don't want to participate. And I understand Stallman's position. I don't agree with Stallman on a lot of things. I think the guy's. You know, uh, from a dark age that doesn't exist anymore, and he's trying to live in a in a world that is impractical. I personally want to participate in the world. I want to be a part of that, but I want to participate in a world that trusts people and doesn't, you know, take data and use it against them without their knowledge or with you know without their consent. And I, I think that we all have to abide by reasonableness standards. We're all good people, in you know, deep down, and we need somehow to. Uh, be able to bring some of that forward but let's all be held to the same account of being reasonable in a negotiation mine the you know the person I'm, or the company i'm negotiating with i want everybody to be reasonable uber's not reasonable not least with the way they word their agreement see because here's the thing i have not added payment to my apple id or to my uh google id so occasionally on my phone still pops up and says, you know, link payment to your Google Play account. And I'm like, maybe later, because there, there's no value add for me to trust them with that information. Maybe someday there will be something. But for now, there is no compelling reason for me to give them that information. That's they, fascinating. They just want it in case they want it. So I can do, you know, angry caterpillars and accidentally click the 99 cent power up and go, Oh, it was just $2. <laughs> it's not worth it. So I refuse. Of course you can set that so that you have to enter a password every time. But what's fascinating is you can't find one app that you find valuable. I host a show called Android app addicts. That's how different we are. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, and it's not, I just not like I don't have the Facebook app. I use the web page because there's no reason to install the app. Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're slightly different here. And I um, don't use Facebook at all. <laughs> I don't trust them. <laughs> okay. Well, I really want to, I wanted, oh, you can't say that an hour and 45 minutes into a show. You can't do that because I want to chase that down and find out why you don't trust them. What has Facebook ever done to you to, to engender distrust? But I can't, I can't do that. We have to, we have to wrap it up and that'll be, um, you know, uh, episode 200 of, of this. I mean, we, we didn't even hit Stallman's first point. So this article could be the next six months of stuff um oh wow you, you can't drop a bomb like that uh, <laughs> uh apparently seth has already chosen the topic for next week and i don't know what it is but it's going to be good it's called save the children so tune in next week to find out what he has planned for that but for now seth tell us what happened this week in history okay this was a pretty cool thing on january the 5th 1962 the first reference to Simulia, S-I-M-U-L-A, 
um, however you want to pronounce that, in writing is made. Um, this grouped data and instructions into blocks called objects. It is considered the first object-oriented programming language. As the name suggests, it was designed for doing simulations, and the needs of that domain provided the framework for many features of object-oriented languages today. So 1962, 55 oh. is, if my math is right, years ago, object-oriented programming was born. Wow, I thought Smalltalk was the first object-oriented language, but I'm wrong on that one. Well, Wikipedia, you know, if you can't trust strangers on the internet, maybe you shouldn't <laughs> install Uber. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sorry, I just fit. <laughs> so if you're not a programmer, that may not mean anything to you, but um, the concept of boxing things up for use later programmatically sort of revolutionized writing code. Instead of always writing code when you click the open button and a dialog box that pops up and says, what file do you want to open? Somebody had to think of that, of writing that code that says, every time I invoke this code, it's going to open a dialog that says, what file do you want to open? That's object-oriented programming. Uh, that's a super... Programmer, stop writing right now. <laughs> that's a super... It's an oversimplification, uh, and I know that. But the concept is, uh, you know, everything has to be invented. And the idea of batching code, writing it once and calling it multiple times, was essentially first created or first written about in 1962. 50 years, man. I mean, how far we've come in only 50 years. Yeah. Yeah, think it's, about between 400 and 450, what happened? Nothing, really. I mean, stuff was always going forward, but 50 years... You know, you go back 200 years ago, and 50 years wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. We we are living on an exponential curve in so many ways. Yep. You know, that what was the, who's the guy who came up with the seven doublings? I can't remember his name. But the concept is that, you know, the it took a thousand years of human history to double our te technology once. And then it took, uh, you know, a uh, hundred, uh, 400 years to double it again. And it took 20 years to double it again. And, and, you know, and now we're doubling at a rate where seven times, once you've doubled something seven times, it no longer even looks like the thing that it first started out to be. Um, no, it's not Moore's law. Um, I mean, if only there was some place on the internet or something, some device, some worldwide web, perhaps, of information where you could look things up uh, and find information while you're vamping about the discussion <laughs> of informations. Uh, anyway, I I can't uh, I can't find it. Oh, I I thought maybe I'd be able to, but anyway, the, look it up. The law of seven doublings. It's a it's a thing. Um, maybe it's called the rule of seven doublings. Um. Anyway, it was it was a popular book like in two thousand nine or ten. It was it was all the rage back then. But how quickly we forget uh, the blizzard blizzard of twenty seventeen wiped that away. History is is gone. We will rebuild. Um, so okay, Seth, what do you have this week to lower my productivity other than a, than a being sleeted in uh, to make you look like a better hiring option? This could really lower your productivity. Um, tiki tech dot com dot com. Just go ahead and click on that, and it will tell you the time. It's just, it's kind of. <laughs> that's it? So, that's it. it it'll change. <laughs> it'll, it'll update. So this is, like, it doesn't show you, like, here in the central time zone, it is 9.48 p.m. 
uh, according to this website, it's almost 10 to 10. And then if you wait at 950, it will say it's 10 to 10. And so it, it writes out the words and tells you the time, you know, it's just kind of silly and stupid. I, you know, there, there are watch faces for Android watches that do stuff like that. And my precise Android brain can't handle that. I need, I'm, I'm frustrated that I can't find a watch face that shows tenths of a second. It just doesn't update that fast. I, I need to know this. I need to know down to the tenth of the second what time it is. And so having my watch tell me it's it's about ten minutes until eleven. No, I couldn't handle that. I would. See, and this is what I need. I'm fine with it's almost <laughs> ten to ten. So <sighs> we are so different people in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, as the French say, vive la difference. If you enjoy the difference between my co-hosts and I, uh, you can find out more about us by uh, subscribing. If you're a new listener, um, go back. There's there's 266 previous episodes of all kinds of goodness. Um, well, some of it's good. Some of it's okay. Some people even like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but the best thing that you could do, the, the biggest favor that you could do for me personally, for me personally, is go out and tell your friends about this crazy, ridiculous show where guys uh, argue about whether privacy is real or not for two hours. Maybe you should put it in better terms than that, um, because frankly, I wouldn't listen to that. <laughs> but if you like the show, tell people why you like the show. Tell them about it and recommend us. Uh, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. I know this audience doesn't have any great love for iTunes, but whether you like it or not, it is the the uh, directory of record for podcasts on the internet. Google's making a play for it. Uh, Stitcher and, and all these other people, they're trying to do it. But f- the fact is iTunes owns it and I'd be happy when they don't anymore, but they do for now. So go to iTunes, leave us a rating interview. I think we have one review in 2016. I'm pretty sure. And, and clearly none in 2017 <laughs> yet. So do us all a favor, go leave a rating and a review. A, a five-star rating would be preferred, but if you don't think we deserve it, give us what you think we deserve. You um, could be the first person in 2017 to rate us. Yes. <laughs> not be rate us. No, um, that's right. <laughs> yeah, My wife beat you to that. Uh, <laughs> Um, so now let me tell you how you can contact us. If you'd like to be like Aaron or John Mark or Rick and have your, uh, uh, musings read on the show, you can go to elementopi.com, click the contact us button at the top of the show, fill out the world's hardest captcha, uh, that will send an email that gets priority in my inbox and I will read yours before I read all those uh, penis extending deals that I get every day. Um, uh, or if you would like to have your voice appear right here alongside ours, you can call five, five, nine. I am Opie. That's our Google voicemail box. Leave us a message there. Uh, it will then send an email to my in basket and I'll go check it. Uh, and we'll play it on the show. We love hearing from your, from you. If you have uh, show topics, uh, things you'd like us to discuss. If, if there's other things that you'd like me to pick apart in super, uh, analytical ways with my co-hosts, let me know if there's somebody, uh, you know, who you think you'd like us to interview. Um, I'm not afraid to ask anybody. I other, will send other ways you want Mark to pick on Seth. So yeah, <laughs> I will send emails to Donald Trump and Barack Obama and invite them both to be on the show at the same time. I'm not afraid to do that. So, uh, just anybody you want to be on the show, let me know and I'll ask, or I'll direct my minion Seth to ask one of the, one of those two things. Um, 
But anyway, this show is in so many ways your show. We could get together every week and it'd be a whole lot easier to have this conversation without podcasting and without recording and without, without the cameras and without Google uh, video. So uh, we do this for you and we're, we hope that you like it. And uh, <laughs> Chag says, get Stallman in here. Never going to happen. I refuse to say GNU slash Linux. So never going to happen. <laughs> you know, I met his under his personal secretary at the Linux con uh, I went to and she said she would like I pass. I was like, well, do you think he would come on our show? And she's like, well, I'll put it on his desk. Yeah. I knew I wasn't ever going to hear anything back. But <laughs> if any of them ever listen to one minute of this show, we are blackballed forever. We're probably not allowed to even say the terms geek and rant in the same paragraph uh, around him anymore. Uh, but sure. <laughs> I'll send him an email. I'm not afraid to, but uh, I've seen his writer. I've seen what he requires of on a show, and I'm not willing to do it. Um, plain and simple, uh, he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't uh, compromise on his principles, but he requires people to compromise on the principles to be around him on a regular basis. And uh, I find that kind of hypocrisy uh, unacceptable. Hmm. Oh, way to attack someone <laughs> who can't defend themselves, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Well, um, get him on the show to defend himself. <laughs> uh, okay. I, before I dig my, the hole any deeper and put my foot any farther in my mouth, I will say, guys, thanks for hanging out. This was a great way to start 2017. I look forward to 50 or so more this year. Um, thanks for thanks for letting me do this. Thanks for doing it with me. You, the listener, again, thank you for hanging out with us. If you want to throw money at me, I certainly wouldn't argue with it. Uh, go to patreon.com slash uh, uh, elementop or elementop.com slash patreon it works both ways uh, or you could use uh, elementop.com slash amazon to make your purchases we get a little bit of a kickback there um, or you could just straight up uh, send me bitcoin or uh, uh, paypal bitcoin you know it's anonymous i hear uh, so you can do that there oh uh, uh, it's not anonymous it's actually very unanonymous but well. it's perceived to be anonymous well it's not it, you don't it doesn't have to be tracked back to a human the transaction is always tracked, but it doesn't have to be tracked back to an individual person. Right. Um, Unless you've ever taken Uber, then they can apparently. <laughs> then they know <laughs> where you are and who you've been sleeping with. Yep. <laughs> okay. I, I've been trying to get out of this show for 10 minutes now, and you keep dragging me back in. Stop it. That's it. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. We'll see you next week it's on the Android. Uh, wait, not Android app. That was the other show. I, <laughs> so you got me thinking about that. That's it for this episode of The Geek Rant.